Welcome to State Scoop's podcast series on IT modernization and government underwritten this week by Cisco and Presidio. I'm your host, Jake Williams, and in today's episode, we're talking with two IT networking and security experts about building greater digital equity for constituents to access government services. Our first guest is Megan Steele, Senior Director for U.S. Public Sector East at Cisco. Megan has over 17 years experience across the Department of Defense, intelligence communities, and now with state, local education, and healthcare organizations, helping Cisco partners take greater advantage of funding opportunities to transform the way they deliver mission-critical services. Megan, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Also joining us today is Dan Lorman, Field CISO for Public Sector with Presidio. Dan is an internationally recognized cybersecurity leader, technologist, keynote speaker, and author. He recently joins Presidio's cybersecurity team to advise state and local agencies on best strategies to secure their IT infrastructure. Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you, Jake. So amid the challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic, another concern steadily crept up for state and local agencies, and that, that was how to confront the digital divide across communities in the U.S. And, and ensure both government employees and constituents can access resources with reliable broadband connectivity. Megan, can you describe what you're hearing about state challenges to expand broadband access? Yeah, um, I think, you know, there's a, the interesting thing about what we're kind of dealing with right here is we're all kind of at the beginning of this, to your point, COVID really kind of escalated and shined a, a light on this issue as we all tried to work remotely, work from home, educate our children. Um, and the, the interesting issue is that each state faces their own issues, right? And so as you, as we're looking at it, there's something that we kind of, we've been reviewing is that every state has their own challenges and every state kind of has their own plan and way of they're attacking it. There's no real best practice yet because we're kind of at the beginning of this. So challenges could be anything from legacy laws that were written years and years ago before broadband even existed that they have to somehow overcome or morph in order to meet today's challenges and technology offerings. It could just be physical challenges, right? I mean, you have to lay fiber somewhere, right? So you have to have the physical space um, and land to be able to do that, the rights to the land, et cetera. Um, and then there's there's always um, political and different kind of challenges that you also have to overcome. Funding challenges, right? The federal government obviously is um, offering up a lot of different funding opportunities, but sometimes there's just confusion around how to access them, how you can use them, who should manage them. I mean, there's just a lot of questions that these states are each grappling with. Um, and I'm seeing some really good collaboration and, and working together across both public and private industry to try to solve for this problem. I think everyone recognizes that if we don't solve for it, we're going to leave um, a generation of children behind, potentially, especially from an education perspective. And we as a country just can't do that. So I see a lot of commitment, um, both in public and private um, industry right now to solve this problem, but everyone's at the beginning of, of trying to tackle it. Yeah. And you talk about education. And so, so Dan, I, I want to go to you here. How, how is the need for remote education driving some states' network modernization initiatives? Yeah, Jake, I mean, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has made online education a necessity, it's no longer nice to have. And, and so um, I think starting off with, you know, right when the, when the pandemic hit and really over the last 18 plus months, we've seen the need for flexibility um, and, and, and quick action, really kind of three areas I want to highlight. Um, one is, is the essential nature of the network, um, you know, critical infrastructure. Infrastructure has been in the news a lot. We've been hearing a lot about it, but upgrading and improving your network infrastructure uh, faster, reliable. I mean, people just need that connectivity, right? And and that's been huge uh, to to make sure that that that's in place um, for students and and access, um, but for really all government services as well. 
Um, second area I would just highlight is cloud hosting of services. And that's applications. I mean, people went to the work from home, um, students uh, you know, were, uh, learning from home, the need for um, quick access to those via the cloud, um, virtual desktops, a lot of, a lot of organizations. Uh, teachers uh, didn't have the resources they needed in their, in their home, so providing virtual desktops for people. And then throughout the whole thing, the third area I just want to highlight is, is of course, security and privacy and the, the importance of kind of end-to-end security. Uh, cybersecurity has is, is obviously always been important, but never more important than now with all the attacks that we're seeing, ransomware attacks, so many other challenges people are facing. Um, and so, you know, making sure that um, access controls are in place, identity management, and uh, these improvements are sustainable over time. I think those are some key areas that that, uh, that states are focusing on. Yeah, and you know, with, with so much uh, on the table, so many things that state and local decision makers need to be thinking about, it, it can be hard to make decisions. Megan, can you share some uh, actions that you've seen state and local government leaders take to overcome this decision paralysis about next steps to take in their modernization plans? The number one thing I've seen states doing is really a lot of states are developing kind of a, a, a digital broadband office or some kind of digital office, right, to look at very much the specific issue and then look at across the board at the different funding streams available, right? What are the deadlines to spend and what you can spend them on really dedicating a team to this. It's not a job that can be done kind of ad hoc or just be added to someone's plate, especially as we know, right? The great resignation that's going on and it's just shifting the complete landscape of what our um, workforce looks like, especially in some of these state and local um, customer environments. And so I think you got to have someone dedicated to it to really focus some time on it. And then you have to bring your experts in, right? We talk about the coalition of the willing, of understanding um, the different parts of this of this whole very big broad um, issue around broadband, right? So whether that's the regional education networks within the university system, whether that's just the state kind of centralized IT organization, it could be an, an electrical co-op the state has, it could be your department of transportation, it could be public and private partnerships again, right? Bringing industry experts in to have that discussion, it could be your ISPs. And so you've got to kind of bring everyone to the table and build a coalition of the willing to kind of get around and get all the best ideas at the table and really dig into the issue and then start trying to execute. Um, at first, there was just so much funding and so much information out there. It was really overwhelming to a lot of state organizations. But the ones that I've seen have the most success have really dedicated that team and then built that coalition of the willing. And Dan, I want to bring you in here. I mean, what examples have you seen of how government leaders are successfully closing the gap on the digital divide? Yeah, I'd like to highlight two two examples specifically in, um, in Presidio that I've seen really kind of highlight two areas. One, one is in a, a Texas, large Texas intermediate school district. Uh, that was facing the challenge of getting um, internet access to students uh, in the district who do not currently have access to it today uh, for remote learning during COVID-19. And they were looking for a solution that could benefit multiple students without having to give each student uh, remote access for individual device and also ways to cover areas of district um, that really didn't have uh, secure access to the district network. So what we were able to do and really working with partners is, is um, you know, basically use uh, a school bus uh, solution, a connected school bus solution to help resolve that. And and the way that happened is is really to uh, put uh, five buses actually uh, with internet access out in different areas um, and, and actually provide um, 
basically Wi-Fi access and internet access to students and actually some faculty as well in those individual areas. And we're seeing that around the country, that kind of solution, kind of, you know, taking, in that case, school buses that weren't being used and then applying them to, uh, to solve a problem. Another example was in a large northeastern uh, city, uh, right when COVID hit and then even throughout 2020 and, and 21, we've seen the need for quick move to remote learning, uh, the ability to deploy apps and infrastructure uh, quickly um, when people quickly had to move to many students didn't have you know, their own access. They didn't have a home tablet or a computer. And so, you know, with the citywide schools shutting down and, and a large number of employees now working from home, how were they able to you know, do that? And, um, you know, the ability to quickly go out and, you know, work with teams, uh, deploy technology, uh, in this case, over 300,000 Apple iPads, 20,000 virtual desktops, um, supporting over 70,000 staff, and uh, really bringing together all the different aspects of making a technology deployment work. Because we know it's people, process, and technology, right, Jake? So, you know, project management, the data centers, the networks, the engineering, bringing all that together quickly and being able to, to solve that problem. So really using technology to overcome the challenges that, 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 came to, that came to schools with remote learning. And Megan, I'm going to take the same question to you. I mean, what, what are you seeing? You, you talked about it a little bit in your last answer, but what are you seeing about how government leaders are sort of successfully closing this gap of the digital divide? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we've seen some incredibly creative um, uh, opportunities and, and programs across the different states and, and localities and, and, and school systems, right? We've seen a, a state in the mid-Atlanta, we partnered with them, leveraging their National Guard to very rapidly deploy mobile Wi-Fi access points across their state, right? Where there just weren't the access so that people could be able to continue to work and to continue to get educated. That's more of a rural issue, right? Where there's what literally was not access. That, then you um, pivot to more of a city environment, right? And Dan kind of touched on this as well from a student perspective. They'd have access perhaps at their house or perhaps they would have access um, at, at the school if they were going in a hybrid environment, right? But then after school, they would need to go to grandma's house to be while mom and dad were still at work, maybe grandma doesn't see value in the internet, right? It's just not a, something, a, a resource that she grew up with. So then the child can't do his homework. Can't, and then if the libraries were shut down during um, during COVID, they won't, didn't, couldn't go to the library and get access. You'd be so shocked at how many people today still rely on things like the library to get Wi-Fi access. And so we saw them standing up in community centers, right? Or, or beefing up parking lots that weren't being used at that time just to get access out there. And we're continuing to see those kind of creative ideas. I mean, I think we're all just really trying to solve the problem as rapidly as possible and then look long-term. So we're, so we're seeing schools try to try to identify which students don't have access and ensure that they have the access when they leave the school in order to go and do their homework. If they do have to stay home and quarantine, my niece and nephew just had to quarantine for 10 days. And unfortunately, their school didn't have a hybrid environment. So they just missed 10 days of school, right? That's super challenging for children. They already have been impacted so much. And so we're seeing creativity being brought to the to the forefront of this. And it's really an all hands on deck approach. And Megan, you know, I'm going to go back to you one more time here. What resources can leaders look to to, to gather clear guidance and, and direction on these strategies to to close the digital divide? I think, again, you have to really build that and rely on that coalition of the willing, right? At Cisco, we have 
a ton of different organizations that will come in and bring in industry experts like Dan himself, right, that have that cybersecurity expertise, or perhaps they were a CISO at one time in a public sector entity and kind of give you their perspective and expertise, or just have, we have business architects that will sit down and kind of just build that security blueprint or build that broadband blueprint, right? And bring those, those that expertise in-house, because again, because of the great resignation, a lot of these organizations are very short staffed right now and they just don't have the expertise in-house. So that's one thing we see people doing. And then also there are a ton of different resources around the funding, um, both within private industry. We at Cisco have um, a public funding office, happy to sit down with a customer, help them look at grants, help them look, understand the different regulations on how they can use the different funding streams. It's very confusing. There's a lot of deadlines. That's a lot of what paralyzed a lot of um, customers at the beginning of the pandemic. But I do see them starting to get into a better rhythm now, understanding, accessing resources like this that private industry and public um, sector institutions bring to bear. And I think that's critical. Again, that coalition of the willing is really critical here because we all have to get together to try to solve for these issues. And Dan, for you, final thoughts, recommendations on, on how our listeners can tackle this new large-scale digital re-architecting demand. I think that uh, basically looking at the, a lot of the different federal funds that are coming down with brand new grant opportunities are, are huge. And we just mentioned a couple of those from from Megan, but I, I think the uh, you know the new grants for cybersecurity going to state and local governments are, are a great opportunity and broadband. Um, take a take a long look at that. Um, I would say a, a number of different things that self service portals are one area that because there's so many people that need help and right now we're struggling with uh, the challenges of vacancies and, and obviously a lot of organizations don't have the staff in place. So looking towards self-service portals is an answer. Also providing resident services and constituent services and, and making sure that everyone in your community counts. So really thinking about that digital divide and how you can service the different populations in your area and, and the tool sets that can help you do that. And, and we have a lot of checklists, you know, working with Cisco, Presidio works um, with with different organizations, governments, local governments, school districts, um, states, to help people look at a, a range of options there. I think there's a lot of national level best practice, you know, from organizations like NASIO, the National Association of State CIOs. There's different uh, Department of Education resources, NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology. A lot of best practice white papers, and we have them also here at Presidio. Uh, just like Cisco, that can show you examples of what your peers are doing. Take a look at those white papers. Take a look at those best practices. Take a look at those examples from around the country. Don't reinvent the wheel. You can utilize those case studies and really learn from others and then apply that. And then last but not least, certainly, you know, my role as a CISO, you know, think about security through the whole thing. The whole process is so important that we build trust and that we have the privacy and security built in end to end. And, you know, Presidio, we can do that for you and we can make sure that as you roll these services out and as you address the digital divide, you're also doing it in a secure private way. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. And I think there, there's so much more we could talk about. There's so much more in this topic, right? That, and you sort of talked about it there with the cyber at the end, but cyber, you know, there, there's so many other pieces to, to go. But I think that's it for, for today. Megan Steele, Dan Lorman, thanks for joining us today to talk about building greater digital equity for constituents to access government services. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And thanks again to Cisco and Presidio for underwriting today's episode. Look for more from our IT Modernization and Government series on statescoop.com and our Statescoop radio channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is Jake Williams. 
Thanks for tuning in.